Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ooh. Welcome back, sports fans, to another soda of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water. Do you believe we have an awesome show for you guys today? NBA champ Andrew Bogut joins the boys for some basketball talk. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here. I'm supposed to be the franchise player. And we're in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Back. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hit your free throws, cuz they're free. Sode 322 coming hot at you guys in Sode 321. And I'm joined on this one by Alex Tossman, the Rock Tosopolis, Nikki Snacks Crider, and yes, Andrew Bogut. But before we can get into the awesome episode, we got to tell you guys about our awesome sponsor. That's right. Go to betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. You're listening to this podcast. It's Monday. The natty is tonight. Go put your money where your mouth is. You want the Baylor Bears to win? Go bet on them. You believe in the undefeated season and Jalen Suggs, the miracle wonder? Go bet on the Zags. Put your money where your mouth is on betonline.ag. Go sign up today. Get your free welcome bonus. It's the spot to bet. Get paid. We want you to make money. But we also, just as important, if not, to be quite honest, more important than making money, we want you to enjoy the show. So without further ado... Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard in an hour intro, we have NBA champ, former first overall pick in 05, blocks leader in the NBA. That's a cool one right there. His jersey is retired by the Utah Utes. He has his own podcast, Rogues Bogues. Give it up for Andrew Bogut. Andrew, how you doing today, man? Dude, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Can't complain. Heart of March Madness, heart of the NBA season. We got to go look back at, first of all, you have to have one of the most underrated college basketball careers we've seen and not to toot your horn right off the bat but you just absolutely dominated Luca Garza style you're from Australia seeing how the player development is overseas and knowing what you know now do you think had you been a young guy today would you have stayed in Australia or would you have gone to Utah still oh tough question I mean the way the way things are going now there's a lot of different options um obviously Europe is very appealing to a lot of people now. Um, the NBL, you know, is, is solidifying itself as a top five league in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different options, but I mean, the journey that I took got me to where I am. So I wouldn't change that. Um, the thing I tell 
most young kids about college uh, when they have scholarship offers versus pro is you can always um, go to college and you can leave the next day. You know, it's not a, it's not a right. binding agreement like a professional contract. So you're not stuck there for that whole year. And I've had people do that. There's been a few people that I told, you know, go and, go and try it. And they hated it. They were homesick. They didn't like it and did, did one semester and then came back and played pro in Australia. So that's what I always encourage young kids to do, you know, um, if, they, if they can't decide. Mm. But, you know, it's it's not for everyone. I mean, college is is hard in its own right. Um, it's kind of changed a little bit now, but kind of when I was there, you know, I had Ruggiero as my freshman year. So um, there's a lot of crazy coaches that it's kind of changed now because of social media and camera phones, whatever. They can't, be doing, like, they can't be doing all that crazy shit anymore. But shit, back when I went to school, though, you know, there were some crazy college coaches getting away with some crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, you kind of see it nowadays. Everything's coming to light and you can't get away with everything. You know, anything you kind of try to pull under the rug or, you know, pull the wool over someone's eyes, they'll catch you the next day. Everyone's out to, everyone's out to blow everyone up too, for better or for worse, honestly. That's worse. Yeah. yeah. That's worse. Well, you got kids that'll, you know, that there is a line of, you know, trying to get someone better to motivate them and abuse. And I think now most, most kids are like, you know, as soon as someone says something bad, it's like they're abusing me. It's like, no, they're trying to get better. So that's where we've lost it. Whereas back in the day, it was opposite. Back in the day, it was like <laughs> there was no line. It was like you could do whatever you wanted. Whereas now it's opposite. You can't even say, hey, man, you're playing bad. And, you know, a guy breaks down in tears. It's like, you know, so it's kind of the opposite of what it was 10 years, 15 years ago. Do you, yeah. do you work with a lot of the younger guys still? Like, when, you know, obviously they bring in Wiseman. Do you still have like a good relationship with the Warriors? And have you spoken to him? No, not to Wiseman. I mean, I'm not involved in any day-to-day with the Warriors. I mean, I've had conversations with their um, their scouting team and some coaches because they've got, they've got a kid over here, Justinian Jessup, uh, Boise State guy that's playing with the Illawarra Hawks. Um, so they've kind of drafted him and sashed him over here. So I've had some calls about him a few times. So I'll reach out every now and then, but as far as like a daily role, um, not something – um, I'm doing right now and I wouldn't really do it because I, I don't want to move. I don't want to move um, with two young kids that start school next year. So unfortunately for me, I'd love to coach and be involved in the game, but um, I've seen a lot of coaches and players in the NBA and the relationship they have with their kids for the most part aren't great at times because, you know, just by nature, they're never home. They're traveling a lot. They're moving around. So I kind of don't want to do that to my kids. So I want to try and, you know, wherever we're placed for the next 10, 15 years is where we're at. And then beyond that, I'd probably look at doing something again. Yeah. Well, don't come back to America. Stay there. Stay as, stay as <laughs> long as you can, man. Um, what's are, your, the, uh, are your kids pretty tall for their age right now? Yeah, they're both <clears throat> both one percenters, so they're going to be pretty big. Um, nice. You know, so one doctor said uh, you may do that measurement. Um, all their measurements, like the wrists and whatever. Um, one said that one might be taller than me, so I hope he's wow. not taller than me because <laughs> hard enough being my height getting around. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah you, you, you never know. I mean, because you know, six ten, six nine—that's a great, that's a great height to be for for a hooper. And it, you know, it's not quite the seven foot, but it can help just from the from the health standpoint. And my doctor told me I was going to be six foot, and I'm I'm standing here. Five eight, five nine. So you know, sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes doctors are sometimes doctors are wrong. <laughs> let's clarify. Let's yeah. clarify that a lot on, of time on the show for sure. Um, Regrettably for me, but nothing I can do about it now. 
you stayed involved in the game, though, covering it on your podcast. Did you, is that something you always wanted to do? Did you kind of venture off into media? How Was it important to kind of still stay connected and still stay knowledgeable about the NBA? Because a lot of guys, when they're done, kind of just like, all right, I did my thing in basketball. I'm going to go venture off into something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to do that, to be honest, just try and disappear. But I think I've got some really cool stories. Number one, I've met a lot of great people not just basketball-wise, but off the court, a lot of influential business people, a lot of sports stars and other sports, whatnot, right? So um, the goal was to try and tell those stories. So I do the My Journey part, which is kind of my – I'm kind of doing an autobiography via podcast, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. My Journey 1 was literally my childhood and the episode 2, and it just goes chronologically to where I am today, retired. So I don't know how many episodes that's going to take, but we'll see. And then I do the NBA – slash basketball podcast with Mike Procopio, who's a great guy, fun guy, talks a lot of shit, um, Boston accent dude that was with me in Dallas as an assistant coach. So that wasn't in the plans. It was just something that kind of fell fell on our lap. And it's kind of a podcast that we don't um, we don't give the PC answers. And we just it's just direct and honest. And there's, there's not a whole lot of those out there. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of um, not just podcasts but media people that are involved in the NBA coming from a, a producer or a PR agent or someone on their team. You can't say this, you can't say that. We have none of that. So I produce um, the run sheets. We we talk about anything. We're not scared to answer questions. We're not scared to talk about controversial stuff. And people have appreciated it. It's done really, really well um, so far. We just we hit 100,000 views about two months ago or, or listens. Um, so, you know, if I can get to a million by the end of the year, it'd be a good number. Yeah. That's yeah, a, man. Totally. I, I think, you know, that's what people love to hear when they listen to a podcast is like, they want to sit down and be a part of a conversation that's real, you know, like kind of that barbershop talk, you know, you want to be something that's not just so analytical or just like, so caged, like having just no rules and just being able to talk about whatever's through your heart is just always so important. I think. Yeah, it is. And it's real. Like, and Mike's been around the game for longer than I have. He, he worked for Kobe as his personal kind of video coach for two or three years, he's worked for wow. Michael Jordan. Um, he's been an assistant coach. He's worked at Tath Athletics with Mike with uh, uh, Grover back in the day. So he's he's had his hands on a lot of NBA players. Um, so he has great stories and he's happy to tell them. And he's a shit talker by nature, like a typical Boston guy, you know, like happy to talk shit and fans love that. And then we try yeah. to do interactive stuff with our fans as well. Like we do <clears throat> usually do four or five questions that are sent in from fans every week. And some of them are, controversial some of them are off the radar some of them are random but like you said people people hear enough about the analytics and this guy's bad and this guy's good exactly the behind the scenes stuff and that when we talk about especially the championship year with warriors we talk about the behind the scenes stuff people really like that yeah no absolutely i mean sure there there was a boatload of behind the scenes stuff from the even from the outside looking in there's a huge coaching change when you got traded there you had mark jackson you guys got close didn't get there and then you have steve kerr you do get there when they fire Mark Jackson and hire Steve Kerr, what was the locker room like? Did you know that switch was going to get you to the top? Or do you think you would have gotten there regardless with Mark? Oh, no, we didn't know we were going to get there. I don't think we would have got there with Mark. I think Mark did a fantastic job getting us to that point of being a perennial playoff team from where the Warriors were the last 20 years. I think it was that one year, the We Believe year, was the pinnacle of their last two decades, which is not a good thing because – even though they, they had a good good run, they, they beat Dallas with the number one seed. That was that was celebrated and talked about. Whenever we did a function or did anything, everyone talked about we believe. Where it actually started to get to us, like man, this is all all that they have. We need to we need to try to fix this. So 
Uh, Mark did a, did a good job getting us to that point, but um, there, there, you know, there were changes that needed to be made. We, we weren't hitting our ceiling. We had a very talented roster, and we just couldn't get over that hump of the first round, second round. Um, when Steve came in, we didn't, you know, we didn't think that I didn't think that Steve Kerr's here going to win a championship. Like by no means, I thought, look, a goal for us should be the conference finals, and then do it on that. But you know, we just had a hell of a year and everything came came together so well. But the locker room was kind of split when Mark got fired. Mark was pretty um, integral off the court with a few guys. <clears throat> it's no secret that he had his own church and there were a few religious guys on the team. So as far as that went, some guys weren't too happy about the firing. But I think you ask most guys today, like from a basketball point of view, it was the right move. I mean, Mark, um, yeah. you know, wasn't a huge X's and O's guy. Um and Steve came in, changed a few things, changed our offense, more of a motion-based ball movement offense, and it worked wonders for us. Mm-hmm. Kenny's cutting in. Nope, not Kenny Powers, just me, Josh. To remind you guys about one of my all-time favorite sponsors, Sunday Scaries. Here's something you didn't know about me. I don't sleep well. But I'm really good at staying awake and staring at my ceiling, so I'm always looking for new ways to get my shit together. My head hits the pillow, and bam, my mind races on what I didn't do, what I need to do, yada, yada, yada. Relatable? Yeah, it effing sucks. Fortunately, I found Sunday Scaries and realized they make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like me and maybe you. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies helps me decompress clear my head, and fall asleep so I can actually wake up a functioning human being. There's no risk to buy. The company offers a 100% lifetime money-back guarantee. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. If the product's not for you, that's okay. It's for me, but we'll still get you your money back. Sunday Scaries, in the stress-relieving business, not the stress-causing business. I got you. 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code STRIPE for your discount. That's promo code STRIPE, capital S, for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're effing amazing, and you won't regret joining the squad. But now back to the show. One, one thing first, thanks for that, that low blow you just gave me uh, by reminding me that the number one seed Mavs uh, fell to the eight seed Golden State Warriors. That was great. Um, I remember that very vividly. <laughs> you, got chip, you got a chip long after, so that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. What do you think about just coaching going forward in the NBA? Is that something that the best of the best coaches need? They have to have that X's and O's background, but also that superstar management that, that Steve Kerr has, that marriage of both. Is that something that you can't really make it to a finals and win a finals without without that type of coach? Well, yeah, Mike and I have spoken about this at length on the podcast. Um, and we think that it's these days, it's probably, believe it or not, 80% plus people management. Um, For sure. You can, hire, you, can hire, you can hire an X's and O's guy that's out of this world or an analytics guy as your head assistant or a, a defensive coach as a head of your defense. The, the, the head coach's biggest role these days with all the money being thrown around, the superstardom and prima donnas in the league is, is people management, you know? Um, so if your coach can do that, you're, you're, you're more than halfway there. You do need to have some sort of, you know, go-to, go-to plays. You need to be able to draw off the board late game, do all that kind of stuff. But the people management thing is huge because if, you know, you got to know your guys, there's, there's a psychological aspect to coaching a team um, where some, some of the best coaches I've had didn't understand it. And, you know, player X, you need to give a hug every now and then. You need to give him a hug and yeah. say everything's going to be right. Player Y, like a Draymond Green, you light him up, he lights you back up, but you know he's going to respond to that. So 
every player is different. Then your player C, if you cuss him out, he could shut down for a month. So, um, yeah, the people management aspect is, is I think that's the most important thing these days. You don't have that. If you have an absolute guru, that's the best X's and O's guy in the world of all time, but can't manage people, he won't last. Yeah. I mean, if you need a formula of both, you could look at a guy like Spolstra, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Brad Stevens is kind of the same. Um, Steve's done a pretty good job with it for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely changed from when I first got in the league where it was more, we need a coach structured and disciplined and all that, which you do, but it's, it's really changed now to teams value the day to day, the people management, the, just, just knowing your guys. Um, more and than- we, and we, we talked about it too. I think there's just so much more to worry about these days too, with just people getting in trouble and just managing their personalities and making sure that they, you know, are doing the right things on and off the court, you know? Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that um, hurts most teams. It's that it's a locker room. It's not, you know, there's teams, you know, in the NBA every year that are so overly talented that just can't do anything. Um, and that's mainly because of team culture and, and, Max guys getting into it or all of a sudden you've got a rookie that's come up that he's now trying to take that I'm the number one guy on this team and you've got a veteran that's been there 10 years that he's the number one guy so there's all these different things and if you don't have a coach that can can manage that well and try to keep it you know somewhat loose in that locker room you, you're gonna you're gonna be in for a long haul no matter how talented you are and we've seen that before like stack teams um, that just don't make it how is that for you then like coming in as the number one pick Hey, it's you're the number one pick. You're the guy now. But also, you talk about on your podcast with Blake Griffin having him having to find his role. How is that trying to marry being the number one guy, but also trying to find your role on a team full of veterans? Oh, look, when I when I got drafted, I I, I would say I wasn't ready to play in the NBA from a physical aspect. Um, I was only two twenty five, two thirty pounds at that point, um, coming into my out of my sophomore year to the NBA, and that was. You know, for those that don't remember, that was Shaquille O'Neal, Yao Ming era. Like you needed, yeah. you needed to keep on you. It wasn't like today where you could be a an athletic, wiry five man. You were getting punished back then. So, um, but I had to, I had to go into, I had to put my name in the draft. Like I was, I was a you know projected top five pick, but I knew my body wasn't ready yet. So I kind of transitioned a bit slower. My rookie year, I averaged, I think I averaged nine and seven. Not horrible, but not great. And then I kind of got better and better and then became a double-double guy for five or six years. But it took some time for me. So I wasn't – I didn't come into Milwaukee, you know, saying, hey, Michael Red, I'm the guy now. Like, I kind of let it naturally kind of just happen. Um, but then to answer your question, once I got to Golden State, all of a sudden I'm the number one, number two option in Milwaukee for five, six straight years. Um, you get to a team now that's got Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and – I'd be an idiot to be like, I'm the number one option over those guys. Like, you know, so I understood that I can do a lot of things that can help this team win games outside of scoring. I'll still get my, you know, get a lob every now and then or a post-touch and get eight, 10 points like that. But I know I'm not going to demand post-touches. As long as I get a goal for me on that squad, once it started to come together, was 10 rebounds, two or three block shots, a charge, and just laying people out on screens as much as I could to try and get Steph and Clay open shots. And, and I bought into that and was, was happy to play that role to, to get a championship. I mean, that's the big thing today. A lot of guys are seemingly having a tough time fitting that role or buying into roles. And we're seeing so much, mo- so much movement in the NBA. How do you feel now looking at it from the outside perspective? You're not playing anymore with all these guys, more trades than ever at the deadline. Guys being bought out. How do you feel about that? It's just so much movement. 
do you think it's kind of hurting the NBA in a sense? I mean, from for me being an old school fan, it it it, it does. Like I, I used to follow, you know, I followed the NBA since the nineties, since I could basically, you know, be able to watch it on TV in Australia. And I think it, the hardest thing to follow with pro sports is a lot of movement, in my opinion. I yeah. mean, some people like it. I mean, the drama of the NBA is there's there's a lot of fair weather fans that will just follow LeBron or KD wherever they go. That that's their team. I'm kind of an old cool guy where like if I have a team, I have a team, but. Um, it's hard. There is there is a lot of movement. <clears throat> you know, there's there's teams that you look at OKC or Houston over this next couple of years. They're going to have a whole new roster that if you were a fan two years ago, you're not going to know a name coming in the next year or two. You no. know, o- OKC have a projected. We spoke about this on the podcast. They have projected 34 uh, draft picks in the next four years. Ridiculous. 34. You know, and obviously they'll use some of those as trade bait and and, and try to acquire someone with those picks, but. The league's changed and there is a lot of movement. Um, I don't think it's solely because a guy's not buying in, but I think a coach comes in with a different system. We don't need that guy. We don't want to post up anymore. They'll, they'll get rid of the post guy, Marcus Aldridge, John Drummond, you know. So um, there's just a, a lot of a lot of a lot of change and movement and some people like it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but it is what it is. Well, I think I think one thing that it clearly seems to be affecting, and I would love to know if just First and foremost, if there are any of those guys on that original 2005 Bucks team, a lot of bigs on that roster. Any of those guys that ended up becoming kind of mentors for you, like Gutzurik or McGlore had been there, right? He was five years in the league at that point. And I, I feel like to, for you and your career, you got to stay with that that team, that franchise for what? what was it like six or six, seven years? Yeah. yeah and, and you've got these other guys that are bouncing around talking about how many trades there are, like how much of a difference that makes. You're moving in with you get a different player development coach, right? You're working with a different roster and how that can stunt so many potentials. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, with Milwaukee, there was a lot of turnover. Um, we, you know, I think we went through three coaches when I was there. Um, but the issue was that we, we we were just a revolving door of a franchise for a long time. It was very, still, it, it's probably better now with Giannis there, but it was so hard to, to, to sign a premier free agent. Like no one wanted to play in Milwaukee, like period. Even if we paid a little bit overs compared to an LA or a New York, no one was coming. So it then led us to go to overpay for second tier stars and even guys that we thought were going to be stars. We'd overpay for those guys. And, you know, there was, there was three or four straight years where we had eight or nine different new guys on a roster year to year. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to build anything, anything no. special doing that. Right. So um, it definitely makes a difference if you can have, you know, that, that turnover be minimal, but yeah, it was, it was just an interesting time back then. And um, I was happy in Milwaukee. Um, it was a smaller city for me. I was a small city guy and I, I was happy to be there. So it kind of all fit in well, but we just, we just couldn't get over that hump of, of getting some consistency of rosters, you know, um, and that was really frustrating. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, were you shocked when you got traded or did you know it was going to happen? No, I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen, but to be honest with you guys, I mean, I, I made it, you know, I got to, it was a lockout year. And once again, they, they made some trades and I think um, they, they tried to make some band-aid trades that were, weren't great. They were reactive and, and we brought in some guys that just didn't, didn't fit in. A lot of guys that were free agents that were trying to get their numbers up. So they weren't playing to, to try and win. They weren't playing to try and be Milwaukee long-term. So it got to a point where I just went to manager. It was like, I think it's just time to move on for me. Um, and they were like, we're not going to trade you. We won't get fair value back for a good big. So blah, blah, blah. And then two weeks later, I broke my ankle um, in Houston. I got, I got undercut by Carl Lowry and fell on his foot. And um, 
snapped my ankle. Jesus. And then the GM was in the hot seat. Um, head coach was in the hot seat. We were at about 500 at that point, And they thought, well, shit, like he's not going to play for the rest of the season. We're on the hot seat. We need it. If we can get something back, let's do it. And they got Monte Ellis, um, who ended up helping them get the eight seed and, and save their job for at least another couple of months. But that's how we ended up in Golden State because Golden State were in tank mode. They were like, shit, we don't need we don't need Bogo to play for us this season anyway. So let's bring him in, um, go full tank mode, and then that'll that'll work out pretty well from there. Yeah, honestly, jokes on them. You want it to be traded, and they're like, no chance, and you get hurt, and all of a sudden it's convenient for them, and then they move. Exactly, yeah. it's the. Yeah. Brutality of the business, I guess. Uh, but the buyout rule, how do you feel about that as a foreign player? Is it, do you feel like, are you more so on the side of the players in the sense of, hey, let them do what they want, it's their career, or more so on the sides of, I guess, a lot of the fans and the smaller market teams that are like, this is insanity that a guy like Aldridge or Griffin caliber can go join the Nets midseason for nothing, drumming in LA? I, I mean, I get it from a team point of view and a player point of view. A team might say, well, like you look at, like the Al Horford's big. He's crazy to me. <laughs> He's getting paid to basically stay home $50 million for the next two years. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll figure something out in the stretch revision, I assume, but it's hard. I, I don't I don't like – I mean, I spoke about this at length on, on the Rogue Bows podcast. I'm waiting for one team that gets a trade request for a superstar to say, fuck no, I'm not trading you. <laughs> I just want to see it one time because I think all the leverage has swung so far towards the players, and I'm saying this as a player – I just don't like it. I don't think it's fair to small market teams. I just, you know, like Houston was a prime example. I would have loved to have seen them say, they, they can't though, but I would have loved to have seen them say, we're not trading you. So either you sit for the next two years of your contract and kind of rot on our bench or you play for us and play as hard as you can because we're paying you 30, 40 million a year. So I would love to see a team do that, but teams just aren't in a position to do it. No one, no one has a ball to do it. Um, but it has it has definitely swung way too far in the players' favor as far as movement goes, in my opinion. It's tough. I mean, like you're sitting, if you're the Pelicans, you go, okay, we have Zion Williams. We realistically have five, six years to get it together and be like a well, seriously <laughs> and get and be a competitive team. I mean, Damian Lillard's like the outlier, and he's like sent a tweet out. He's like, maybe I'm just crazy. But, I mean, it started with Dwight Howard when he came to the media. Once guys started going to the media, Paul George, Dwight Howard, then the floodgates opened because now everyone knows everyone's business. And they know, you know, teams know that they want to be traded, so the value depreciates. Yeah. And it's a lose-lose. I mean, the Rockets got nothing for hard. They have nothing to show for it, realistically. Like, they better have Yeah, the there a few picks. Yeah, and yeah, a couple of, couple of guys they ended up keeping anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I don't love it. I don't love it, to be honest with you. I think... Um, there needs to be some sort of tweak or change. But look, on the flip side, as far as trade requests, I mean, Draymond Green's comments a month or so ago were valid as well. You know, players like, like an OKC, they can say, teams like OKC can say, we're shutting our guy down. There's no penalty for them. Um, but then on the flip side, if a player asks for a trade request, he gets fined. So there is a bit of a double standard there, in my opinion. But I would totally agree with you. I think um, as far as players holding teams at ransom that are contracted. Hey, you sign a five-year max. Your goal, as a, even just as a person, as a human being, as a man, should be, I, I want to be there for five years. Um, I can ask for a trade request, kind of go to the, go to the GM, say, hey, like, can I, I, I don't want to be here anymore. But if the team says no, the team says no. Like, you still need to be professional. Um, and that's where I'm waiting for a team to say no. And if you don't be professional, we're going to find you. But I just don't think that happens. Yeah. There's a couple 
smaller mid-market teams right now, the Jazz, the Nuggets, and the Suns, who are dominating out West, specifically the Jazz and the Suns. Injuries in Los Angeles with the Lakers. Clippers, I feel like everyone is sleeping on them, by the way. Can the Suns, Jazz, and Nuggets get past LA and get to the finals? Do you think it's possible, or are they just sitting ducks? Uh, the Suns, I don't think, will get to a conference final, and if they do, they won't get much further. Um, I think Denver, you just don't know. that they're, I think they needed to show up defensively. They're not that good defensively, in my opinion. Um, they're very good offensively, but in a playoff series, they need something more. Um, Utah is the best candidate out of those three to knock knock off a, a Lakers or, or a, uh, a Clippers. Um, the Clippers, I'm still not sold on. I mean, they blew that lead the other night again against Orlando. There's still something there that's not right. Um, I think Rondo helps them. I like that move. I mean, I'll, I'm an advocate for starting Rondo on that team when you've got those superstars next to him because I think he'll, he'll be a really good piece, not a scoring point guard. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we could see if LeBron and Davis aren't back soon, we could potentially see you know, the Lakers fall further. And imagine you're the Utah Jazz and you get Lakers as an eight seed. <laughs> it's a disaster. It's actually a disaster. It's like yeah. a, it's, a, it's an absolute train wreck for your season. They you, match up so poorly with them. It's oh, like, Roy, like Royce they'll is going to have to guard LeBron for the entirety of the series. And we, no yeah. one can guard LeBron yeah. anyway. So good luck. You know, it's just. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Like, I'm, I'm, I love the way the Jazz play. I think they're, they're a really good team. They're an example of a small market team that is, for the most part, brought in good people, good guys, guys that want to be there, that are happy to be in Utah. They know it's not a party city and a bright light city, but most of those guys are, are family guys with kids. And I know Joe Ingles is a good friend of mine, so I know he loves it there. Um, so they've done a phenomenal job. And that's kind of what small markets need to aim for. Like when you're a small market team, you almost need to do a lot of research about the guy off the court um, yeah. to see if you'll fit in with your city. You know, like you go, you're in Utah, and you can get James Harden, you probably wouldn't do it because right. he's going to be, you be gone. I mean, I honestly, well, I was, like, was going to, I was even going to ask you, like, what's the remedy here to get the small market teams kind of on the map where they could actually compete for a long time? And you're, you're just spelling it out right now. Like, do your research on the guys that want to be in those cities, you know? Well, and some of it is in the draft. Well, kids. Right? You got to, you got to hit on some of those guys. Like, talk about my team, right? Like, if we don't pick Luca, where, where are the maps right now? Where, I mean, it's not a small market team, right? It's a bit, we're like mid, mid to big, but after Dirk, our t- our roster looks not very good. It looks really, really bad, right? And we show that loyalty to Dirk at the very end. That kind of bleeds into into the rebuild. And now we've gotten we hit on this pick and, and hope that people want to come play with Luca. But if you don't hit on a guy like that, it becomes really, really difficult to build your way back. I mean, look at the magic, right? Look what they just did. They just oh. gave up on on what they had put together and now they're trying to rebuild from the start. You guys talked about it on your pod. I thought, you know, it was like any of the trades that the Magic had, they couldn't have won, right? Because they're just back to square one. So you got to give it to the other team. They were in a fire sale, a fire sale obviously, in Orlando. But look, like, like, like we mentioned before, it's you look at Dallas and you've got Luca for five or six years. If you don't get enough pieces around him or he's not completely happy, he's gone. And then that, you know, you've a big example for me for a small market was Cleveland the last time around when LeBron was there. So he comes back and they, they obviously win a championship, so it was all worth it. But the roster that he left them with were all role players. The, the, their strengths were playing with LeBron, right? So you've over, you paid for Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, all these guys, right? And then LeBron leaves, you're stuck with these guys that are good, solid players, but they're not 
worthy of those contracts unless LeBron's on the team. So, you know, you go to Dallas, look, look at Dallas with Luca or whoever, right? And then those guys leave. You kind of leave the team in a bit of a hole. And um, on the flip side, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis, these kind of guys, small market develops them, puts all the infrastructure towards them, and then the Lakers just come in and say, thank you for the development where it's going to take you, which is, which is to me... I really enjoyed seeing Giannis free sign Milwaukee for that reason, just Amazing. because it was me too. Yeah, it just doesn't fit the narrative of, of today's superstar. You know, most guys like him, he could have owned New York, really. Like he signs in New York, that's his city. He's on every billboard. He's making an extra hundred million from endorsements, right? But he didn't do it. And I really respect that. And you know what? You've you've been to Sacramento. We've all been to Sacramento. Let's not shy away from it. We know what it is. Right, we know it's. We all know what Sacramento is in the podcast right now. Like <laughs> De'Aaron, Fo- De'Aaron Fox. Like if he stays there, he has to be the nicest guy. I would let him date my sister if he stays in Sacramento his whole career. Nicest, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nicest guy out there. I mean, it's just so it's scary. It's scary because you know in the NFL, like guys just don't leave. I don't. I don't know what it is. You know. It's, well, and it's. I think it's. I think most NBA fans were really excited to see Giannis resign. But on the same token, here we are, and looking at the Nets, if they're at a, their rosters at full health, I'm going to pick them in a series over the Bucks every every day of the week. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's that's unfortunate reality of it. Now that you can get everyone's trying to get their big three, even now big three plus two buyout guys, it's essentially a big five, big six. Um, right. If that continues, you're going to be left with small markets looking more like a Houston or OKC for the the long part with maybe a superstar sprinkled in. No, you're not going to compete. You're going to compete in the regular season. You might get to a first round, second round if you're lucky, and that'll be a championship for you. Um, But as far as getting to championship series, it's just the unfortunate reality of of the way the game's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some positive. Positives, though. No no more sad for the NBA because we love it. (laughs) Who are some young bigs you love right now? I got I'm a I'm a Celtics fan. Don't be fooled by the hat. I'm just a hat slut. The <laughs> um the only time you'll ever hear that phrase. We have Time Lord Robert Williams. I'm getting my hopes up on him. Who are some young bigs that you really like right now? Yeah, I think he's I think he's got a chance. I mean, especially with the, that starting lineup. He's I think they haven't really had a big that's played a lot of minutes that could defend the rim for a while there. So he can definitely block shots, matter of staying out of foul trouble. I don't mind him. Claxton's actually not bad with, with Brooklyn, but he's now stuck in a thanks. Yeah, he's, right. Like so you, so we spoke about this, Mike. Like you got DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, um uh who else there? Uh, Claxton, um Aldridge. Aldridge. So you got you got four guys that now need to fit into probably twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes at the five spot because Nash goes small with Jeff Green at the five sometimes for periods. Like what? So almost two guys out of that four get screwed. So, and he was just starting to play well before this went down. So he's another guy you look at. Um, I think Wiseman still has a chance. Wiseman's, um, you know, he's, he's very unique athletically can handle the ball, but he's in a system that's pretty, Contra bigs um, traditionally, so he's gonna he's gonna have to try to figure that out on the fly. It's a very, it's not a traditional system that he would have ever played in his life. You know, everything's predicated towards handoffs and up screens and floating around on the perimeter trying to get Stephen Clay threes. So he's gonna adjust his game a little bit, but 
it's changing as far as a traditional big. There's there's not a whole lot left. I mean, I enjoy watching Zion because he's kind of more that old school. I'm just going to go through your chest and try to lay it up or dunk on you. So he's fun watching, but um, it's it's kind of changed a little bit as far as traditional back to the basket guys. Not many left. Where would you want to play if you were like prime Bogut? I'm leading the league in blocks. I'm a free agent, bought out. I can go play wherever. Where would you want to play right now? Hold on. I mean, there's there's different aspects to that. There's the city lifestyle aspect of it. So somewhere warm would obviously be nice. I mean, more if it was tough just because of freezing. Um, but I'd probably just look at fit and and trying to win. So, I mean, Golden State worked out perfectly for me, yeah. so I wouldn't change that. Um, but as of today, <clears throat> I mean, somewhere like – I mean, Boston wouldn't be bad looking at that roster, um, helping, helping those guys um, – you know, with the firepower they have offensively, I think they need a big, which is why I think he'll he'll do pretty well. A role playing big that will rebound and block shots. Um, Miami was always an interesting one to me. I think they, they run a really good organization, um, military like at times and hard, but good city, good fan base, uh, warm weather. So possibly Miami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. I mean, military kind of like. We talked about at the top, like how some guys are being coddled and it's a bit soft, but clearly it's worked out for Miami every year. I mean, I just when you yeah. think that I thought that team was going to be trash last year, to be honest, I was like, I don't understand why Jimmy went there. Didn't really see the Harrow thing. And Bam had not taken that jump yet. I thought that team was going to be hot garbage. Shows what I know. And they went to the finals. I mean, it's just Spolster and Riley just have it going on. Yeah. And they're one of the few teams that they have a um, non-negotiable Set of, set of standards that they, they've they set and they don't care if you're a max player or, or the 12th man that if you don't post standards, they'll get your ass out of there. Um, and they're one of the few, you, you have to have a GM, a president, an owner and a coach that are all on the same page with that. Spurs are another prime example of that. Like, you don't want to be here, cool, we're getting you out of here. You want to buy in, see you later. Whereas um, there's a lot of other teams that just that don't, that don't have the balls or organizational structure to do that. So I think that you won't see a lot of teams be able to do that but the ones that, that that do, they just have longevity. And, you know, you remember when um, the big three went to Miami and I think it was D-Wade and LeBron wanted 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 him fired, wanted his palestra fired basically was it the first or second year. I think it might have been the first year. Yeah, was they drum lost. Run. They're like, we're done with this guy. Yeah, everyone, the media yeah. too, they're like, get this guy out of here. Kick him to the car. Pat Riley was like, no, that's, our, that's my guy. That's our guy. You don't like it, leave. And look at him. I mean, they've... they've, they've like you said, they they overachieve most seasons just because they have a good structure, a good culture, and they don't mess around. He just knows how to use every one of his players every year. Just gets the absolute best out of his not even his talent evaluation. His just understanding is crazy. Yeah. Well, it's another roster where guys they fall into their role really well, and and they're the type of guys like a Jay Crowder last year, like an Andre Iguodala, who know where they are in their career and do a really good job of fitting into that role. And then you pair him with a guy like Bam who can make others better. Tyler Harrow, you allow him to flourish. And Jimmy obviously is that the leader behind all of it. Like, I think it's just a well put together roster, but, but back to what you were talking about, like so much of it is character, right? Like knowing the right guys to get, not necessarily what seems to be from the outside looking in the best talent. Oh, no doubt. And I think that's why Jimmy's worked for him because he's that mentality. Like it's no secret that, he didn't fit, fit in well with Minnesota and a few other teams because he just didn't he didn't like the bullshit. Whereas he's going to a system now where they don't, they don't like the bullshit either. So it's a perfect match. Hundred percent. It's like and it goes to show you. It's like 
the Sixers, everyone thought it was a problem with Jimmy Butler. Oh, Jimmy's the problem. He's the problem in Minnesota. He's the problem in failure. He's not, you know, he just wants to go play in Miami where it's nice. Well, look at everywhere he went. They won. And then he leaves. Yeah. Timberwolves, hot dog shit. Hot Garbage. dog shit. And then the Sixers, I mean, you didn't play for them, so I have no problem saying that. The Sixers, um, they've got it together now, but it didn't work out there. There's some Im- there were some maturity issues. And then he goes to Miami, and clearly he wasn't the problem. It was the organization. Exactly. And that's, <clears throat> there's a lot of players that get labeled with that. But sometimes, you know, he seems like a guy, kind of like Andre Iguodala a little bit, where high IQ guys, um, guys that know how to play the right way, when they play with people that don't aren't playing for the right reason, maybe playing for a free agency contract or whatever it is, they actually look worse um, body language wise and whatnot because of the frustration of, of of playing with selfish people. And I think Jimmy might have been a victim of that, where he was playing with some guys that weren't playing for the right reasons, and it pissed him off and it showed. And then all of a sudden, he's he's the poisonous character. So um, I, I think he hit on the head there. Yeah. What do you? This just, just popped in my head. I mean, in the tourney, Iowa, they were two seed. Luca Garza, obviously, he was a player of the year candidate. Fantastic, fantastic big. Can shoot, can't move that well. What do you tell that guy going into draft workouts? How does he maximize his potential in the NBA? Well, I mean, he's going to be able to move uh, better than he is right now. I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, he's asked to do so much offensively. I'll give you an example. Like, I came out of college... Uh, labeled as a defensive bust. So that was kind of the MO on me. And main reason why was because <clears throat> I was 20 and 12 my sophomore year. If I wasn't on the court, we, we, we were struggling. And I, I had I carried our offense basically night in, night out, right? So I knew that if I got in foul trouble, we were screwed. So I, I, I kind of – I let a lot of stuff go at times. Coach came to me one time and said, I don't want you to try and block and contest everything because we need you on the floor. So at times I had to let things go. So I got labeled as a defensive bust. I ended up making an all-defensive team and leading the league in blocks, you know, um, one of my years in the NBA. So that's that's probably somewhat similar to, to, to Luca. Like he might be saving himself a little bit on the defensive end, not moving as well because he's asked to do so much. But look, once he, once he finishes up there and, with his schooling and he starts preparing for the draft, just to, he's just got to work on his a lot of agility and mobility stuff. You know, a lot of footwork, a lot of skipping, a lot of ladder work. Just just get better with that. And I'm sure whichever agency he signs with will put him into a into a system with with a trainer and some other guys to get him better. But yeah, you got to be able to defend the pick and roll these days. That's the biggest thing in the NBA, and that means even for me, the transition was. I'm a drops big in the pick and roll, meaning that I'm usually protecting the basket. Um, the last three or four years, it was hard because now you're asking me to get out and contain Dame Lillard on a switch or whatever it was. So that's where it's going, and that, that's where you got to figure things out. Luckily, the guy that is an absolute nightmare against the big on the pick and roll, and we've seen so many times just torch a big, was on your team for <laughs> – for the you yeah. know 2014 2015 yeah because Steph we've there's a, I mean how many different how many different videos have we all seen of Steph just getting a guy on that switch right and he just puts him in the blender owning ankles yeah not fun I mean when I got switched on to guys like that towards the end of my career my whole goal was just to make them break the three so I was like you can do whatever the hell you want put it behind your back between your legs I'm not biting backwards like I'm not biting to to go below the three point line right I'm actually 
being over aggressive to try and get on one of your one of your hips and make you break the three point line because I knew they didn't want to break the three point line for the most part. And if they come in and lay it up, it's on my help side. So that was the goal for me. And sometimes you get blown by and look awful, but that was kind of strategic. And from an IQ point of view, that was my goal was switch on to a Dame Lillard. Like he's going to want to break me down and shoot a step back for the most part. Right. Um, but also doing that now with the way you guys are going side to side. They're not really going north south as much. It's, it's now you got to defend, you know, east west. You got to defend like these these random step backs and pump fakes and all that. So it, it gets more and more tricky um, as time progresses and, and the game develops. Yeah. What about? I mean, did you? How much of that sidestep, the pump fake sidestep three, did you see in from 2005 to 2010? Like hardly ever, right? That move is. Oh, yeah, it probably started probably the last five years. I think really like James Harden obviously was catalyst for that. But it was, yeah, I mean, I think it was three years ago and everyone was like, it's travel, it's travel. Um, but early on, if you shot that, you were getting benched. <laughs> you know, 2005, you shoot like a sidestep three from like three feet past the three-point line, like, you know, you get taken out of the game. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. how you just, talk of, you just talk about Luca um, Garza. Who are some of your favorite players coming out of this draft this year? I haven't watched a whole lot of college, to be honest. I know Luca well just because I did some of the uh, – I had to watch some of the games for voting, but I haven't, I haven't watched enough to, to even tell you. It's been – Yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been hard to to knuckle down and watch sports because half the time you don't even know when games are on because of right. the postponements and all that kind of stuff. So, to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of college as much as I probably should, um, but I've been watching mainly mainly the NBA and then, you know, with, with, the, lock, you know, with the lockdowns and everything going on two young kids at home. Even when I'm kind of watching it, I've got kids climbing all over me and wrestling. Yeah. And, you got to have some frozen, frozen too, honestly mixed in, you know, college is going to have to wait. Yeah. No, we're more, we're more Marvel Hulk and Spider-Man. Oh, nice. and all that. Let's go. Love it. Yeah. So that, that, and yeah, that's the other thing. Half the time they're like, can you turn this basketball shit off and put some cards? In? <laughs> <laughs> you boys better learn uh, a couple more for you. than we let you rock bogues. Um, Andre Godala, former teammate. Hall of Fame or not? Oh, tough one. Um, I mean, what's he got? Three rings, um, finals MVP, finals MVP one year. I mean, he's up there. He's up there. I think it's a coin flip for him. Uh, but one of one of the best teammates I've played with, one of the highest IQ guys I've played with. Um, but I think it'd be a coin flip for him. But he's, you know, people forget he was an number one option for his team for a long, long time as well. He was similar, similar to kind of. Yeah. He was an all-star, so a bit higher than I was, but similar journey um, that I had coming into the Warriors where he was the one-two guy on his team for so many years in Philly, then came to Denver, played a role there, and then we we posted from Denver and he was essentially asked to come off the bench for us, Steve Kerr, you know, so um, and did a, did a phenomenal job of it. Huge, can't, can't speak more highly of him. Um, and the whole Hall of Fame thing is subjective. I don't, I don't buy into it too much just because... There's a lot of different things that go into it, but I definitely think he has a chance for it. Mm-hmm. One more teammate, Draymond Green, one of the most boisterous guys in the NBA, came out and said he's the best defensive player of all time. Sure. Buy or sell that? Uh, touched on this last week, actually, on the pod. I, I think there's a few different ways you got to look at it. I saw Tony Allen's response. I think if you look at one-on-one individual defense where you say Draymond go and shut down LeBron I don't think he's the best to ever do that I think Tony Allen probably even has him covered 
But once you know basketball enough, you're not just looking at a stat sheet for blocks and steals or one-on-one defense. Draymond does a lot of things off the ball that people don't realize. Deflections, even just shutting plays down by being in the right place early. He sees he sees plays unfold two or three plays or two or three passes before they happen. And that's where he's very, very unique. So as far as an all-in defensive player for your team, I'd take him over Tony Allen. If I needed a one-on-one late game stop, I'd, I'd go with Tony Allen, if that makes sense. So I think he's he's up there as one of the best defenders of all time when you encompass everything. But these things are all subjective as well. Like it's yeah. like the LeBron, Kobe, MJ debate. It's like these idiots go on and debate this shit for years and years and years and just get abusive. And yeah. it's yeah. just with so many different factors, man. Like, you know, you're comparing someone from the 90s era that was hand checking. Today, you can't touch anybody. You can't even have a fingernail or someone. So there's, you know, equipment's changed. You know, 70s and 80s, some of these legends were playing in, you know, Chuck Taylor's. Um, Larry Bird, man. He's playing in Converse. Exactly. Guys were flying commercial back then. More of a toll on the body. You know, there's so many different factors. So to compare eras for me, I've always been an advocate of saying that every era is going to be better than the last era. It's just, you know. This nature. It's the way the world progresses with anything, technology, whatever, right? Yep. But um, I still think MJ is the greatest as of today, if, if I have to say it. But I'm not going to sit down and discount what Kobe's done or what LeBron's done. Um, so that's just, you know, MJ probably relates more to me because I was a, a 90s era NBA fan. That, that was a pinnacle and that's what I watched. But, you know, no one's – I don't think anyone's right or anyone's wrong when you get to those debates. But as far as Draymond, I like I liked the fact that he said it because it puts more pressure on himself. Because now you're going to get all these analytics dudes and all these people that are just going to nitpick now and be like, oh, he's not the greatest because he can't do X, Y, Z. So he's, he's actually put more pressure on himself by doing that. And I like it. You know, he's backing himself. And if, you know, if you're not the biggest fan of yourself in the NBA, especially in pro sports, no one else is going to be. So yeah. um, you gotta it find, is what it is. Got to find ways to motivate yourself too. And I always appreciate that about about Draymond, you're talking about like with the coach going back and forth, you bring the fire, they bring the fire right back. And that's what, and he brings that's it what in court. turn. Yeah. He brings it on the court. I, I look to him to be a really big influence, hopefully on James Wiseman going forward, just for him to be a sponge, not only on the defensive side, just being in the right place at the right time. Obviously Wiseman's length is so much different than Draymond. If he can be in the right place, he can do so many different things. But even from you, you talked about how he can handle the ball. If Draymond can just instill with him the ability to pick up that ball look for the teammates, be in the right places. And I think that's what you did a lot in your career as well, being able to pass from the post, being able to pass from the high post, kick to the corner, have that, that awareness. That's something that Draymond really has. And if Wiseman can add that to his bag, he'll be really impressive. Yeah, the Draymond thing, he's not for everyone. He's not everyone's cup of tea. You either love him or you hate him. And that's what makes him good. And then it's, well, you know, the Wiseman thing, you can see he has all the tools, um, but right now the game's just kind of gone gone a little bit faster than he's used to and, and, and kind of his head spinning at times, right? Yeah. It's going to take some time. The kid's 19 years old, it's like, crazy. you know, and these people that are already criticizing him and should people give up on him, should they move him on? Like, I think to an extent, Golden State Warriors fans have been spoiled a little bit in the last decade. Um, and with that become, comes a responsibility now of every team to be great. Where now you gotta you gotta urge patience. You've got a kid that's, you know, a very, very good player. And arguably you put him on a horrible team, you know, you put him on Minnesota, Washington, one of those teams, 
he's getting 10, 15 post touches a night. Maybe he's, you know, he, he's in the running for a rookie of the year, but he's gone to a team that's got championship pedigree, got a lot of good, good players on it. He's just going to develop and take his time and people have to be patient. You know, you get to year three, year four, you know, year three, if he's not a double-double guy by year three, some alarm bells start ringing and you might need to make some decisions. But give him, give him a good two, three years and then, then let's critique him after that. Yeah, we saw with CJ McCollum. I mean, he was an upperclassman too. His first two years, he had six points, six points, then boom, he explodes. Like, give guys time to acclimate. There's so much more than just a game of basketball. Ben Simmons didn't play his first year. Blake Griffin didn't play their first year. They got used to the NBA lifestyle without taking the toll on the body or having to adjust to the game itself. So they kind of get that little leg up in that regard for sure. There's just so much more that people don't realize about the game. And he is 19. All right, Bugs. Every guest gets this question. Your favorite sports memory can be you playing, watching, anything all time. Oh, my favorite sports memory. Man, um, there's a lot. I mean, for individually, it'd be winning a, a gold medal at the Under-19 World Championships for Australia um, because we'd never won a gold medal at that tournament ever in history. We beat the US, beat everyone. So that was kind of my coming up party that got me to Utah and then get drafted. So from that aspect, uh, my most memorable moment <clears throat> probably isn't a positive. I was I was a Sacramento Kings fan back in the day when they had, you know, the whole <laughs> movement team. So, you know, Peja and, and Mike Bibby and Vladi and Chris Weber. The most memorable moment was Robert Ory's three for me um, because, you know, I was – I kind of wanted him to beat the Lakers so bad just because they weren't supposed to. And it was it was heavily weighted so the Lakers would win. I'm just going to leave that there. But I remember that watching, watching that game, um, I was at the Australian Institute of Sport, I think, at the time, um, and we were all watching it together and we thought, you know, Sacramento's got this. He's going to wrap the series up. There's no way they come back. And then Robert already makes that shot and everything changes. So that'd probably be my most memorable moment from NBA basketball. Dang, man. That is a that is a sad one. But at least... Yeah, that's right. I didn't know you were a Kings fan. I shat on the... I shat on the yeah, yeah, exactly. I shat on the Kings a while ago and you just uh, took it so nicely. Um, but yeah, we actually... That was a fun do, team in the 90s. Yeah, we do polls on our Instagram real quick. And one of the polls we put was which team or which franchise blew their best opportunity We put that Kings team and the Grizzlies grit and grind team with Zebo, Gay, uh, Gasol, Gasol. Yeah, Conley, Conley. and yeah. Tony Allen. And so many people DM'd us. The Kings were robbed. That was BS. They, they had hmm. that. People still to this day really harp on that. Yeah. The if you look at, if you look at, if you look at those next two games, there's something there. Something was, you know, and then, then the Donahue thing came out not long after, and it just, it just, you can't take it away. The Lakers, Shaq, Kobe, they were an unbelievable team, but it, it just, everything fell the Lakers' way those next two two games, and yeah. it did change the series. But the, the Memphis one is an interesting one because we're the guy, we're the ones that beat them. Um, and I've, I've spoken about this at length. Like Memphis win that series against us and go on to championship and win a championship do we see small ball where it is today you know so it's a sliding doors moment you know they were they were the um polar opposite of small ball and bruising two slow slow bigs um in zebo and gasol gasol wasn't shooting threes at that point either he was a post guy and yeah tony allen on the wing who was a non-shooting threat offensively they made it to conference finals they were up 2-1 against us game four in memphis 
So we were behind eight ball and we came back and win three straight and go to the finals. But sliding doors moment, they win that series. Is everyone now trying to play, trying to draft bigs and, and play three, three or four bigs at a time? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and even potentially, even their good shooters, even Gay and Conley aren't shooting. They're not, not shooting eight threes threats, a game. Dude. Not even, you know, they're not the same. The, yeah. Not in the same realm as, and you guys came back against that Thunder team the year after. Well, and, if and you, that team was relentlessly offensive. And you compare it to, I mean, look, how different would the timeline have been if those D'Antoni Suns teams had taken it all the way and won, right? How much would that have changed yeah. things and, and started the clock even earlier than when you guys won? Because they were doing it before they were the original. Talk about time guys, right? moments, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yes, and that's that's what I mean. Things in the NBA, you know, I don't, I don't think we go back from this shoot as many threes era that we're in right now. I don't think it. I don't think it tailors off um, unless there's some rule changes or they move the three back or whatever, but. Yeah, the, the sliding doors moment can, you know, it's copycat league. As soon as we won it going small, especially in that final series against Cleveland where we had a death lineup with Tremont at the five, all of a sudden everyone wanted to copy it. Now you've got teams setting themselves up to do that because analytically it says the right thing to do. So who knows what would have happened if that, you know, didn't win a championship. I still say it. Steph Curry will go down as, as far as what happens on the court, the most influential basketball player of all time. Change the game. Really? He changed. I mean, he, cha- he changed the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as changing the game, yeah, yeah. Oh, like no, like LeBron, oh, yeah. MJ, yeah, Kobe, honestly. Yeah. But as far as like the like just pure like what changing the game, I think it's Steph. Yeah, like he was taking shots that you would what you wouldn't want anyone taking those shots ever. And you start. He <laughs> it's crazy. And yeah, just the you know like the Oklahoma City game that we won, uh, where he pulled up from basically just over half. It was a regular season game, I think. And, yeah, um, that was, just, I watched that game live. Unbelievable game. Yeah, the balls, the balls to shoot that shot. You're just like... <laughs> Is he just in practice just throwing up random shots to just to see if he hits it? So he would like... When we did our warm-ups, we'd do like this full-court run-throughs of like high knee and stretching and blah, blah, blah. He'd always have a ball with him during it and just be throwing up random stuff half-court and half-time. It looked better than like me shooting normally. So... Um, he was, yeah, he was, he was a, he's a freak. I mean, him and Clay, but Steph's more the degree of difficulty, great shooter. Whereas Clay's like, feet set, you know, it's going down. But Steph's just, I mean, some of the stuff you see him do, very crafty um, and just a great dude. That's what I lo- loved about him. As far as a superstar, one of the best superstars I've, I've ever been around in my life. Yeah, just, you, you wouldn't know. If you were having a meal with him and didn't know he was Steph Curry, you would have no idea that he was going to be a basketball player. Yeah. Straighten. You never hear anything bad about him ever, ever. Straight now. He's a good dude. He's one of the few, one of the few in the NBA that practices what he preaches. One of the real few. Like I'm saying, one percent would practice what they preach in that league. He's one of the few that his messaging and the way he conducts himself publicly and the stuff that he's passionate about, um, whether it's social justice causes or community causes, he actually lives that life. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a high number of guys that preach that shit, and then as soon as the cameras go off. Yeah, popping bottles. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bogut, thank you for joining us, brother. Go check him out on Rogues Bogues. Their podcast is awesome. If you love basketball like we do, please go check it out. They do a great job over there. Any anywhere else, Bogut, they could find you. That's it, man. Just trying to do the podcast thing, and we'll start getting some guests on soon. Some really cool people in the basketball community that we're going to get on eventually. But COVID makes it a little bit hard, so we're working on that. Um, but yeah, check us out and interact with us. You know, if anyone. Here's me on this on this podcast. Um, 
you know, check us out, ask us some questions, and we'll answer them when we get a chance. Yes, please. Let's, let's get them to that million mark. Yeah, and if you're sick of DMing our sorry asses, go DM them. <laughs> <laughs> Vogue, thank you, brother. All good. Take it easy, guys. Hey, um, Andrew, so we actually all... Bogut, amazing. Couldn't have asked for a better guest. Guy, we just love talking hoops, and you guys know that all the time. We had it with Golliver. Honestly, a similar situation. The guy just still knows the game so well and is still so involved and invested. Now as a reporter and a fan, it's, it's really great to see, and it's great to chat with him about it. Hopefully run it back soon, post-NBA season. Uh, go check out his podcast, Rogues Bogues, and go check out our newest sponsor, Canon. And believe, teaming up, Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses. Polar, polar, uh, God, another word. It was authenticators. Still can't do it with eBay. Now you got me polarized, got me polarized. 21 Pilots, probably my favorite album, Blurry Face. That's one of the songs on there. We'll try again. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses. There we go, Josh, for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. It's time to make your outdoor experience better with Canon. Use the exclusive code CANONCAST15 at canon.com to receive 15% off, dang, on your first pair. That's CANONCAST15. Canon, clearly better. And Canon is spelled K-A-E-N-O-N. It's very, it's feng shui. I don't know what that word means, but that's what that spelling reminds me of. Go there. 15% off. Cancast. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show with Bogut once again. Absolute pleasure. Shout out to him. Shout out to Australia. Never been. Only heard the best of things. Hope to go someday and catch some basketball down there. Fans out there, we are brought to you by betonline.ag. And swing on a full count. Hit that putt. Hit that puck. Drag both feet in bounds. Hit your PKs because they're free, and hit your free throws because they are free. We out ya. We love ya. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History point of Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.